in the house of God with the family of God. Amen. 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 Well, I'm Pastor Chris here. I'm the lead pastor of Tabernacle Metairie. I want to thank you all for coming. I want to wish you happy Father's Day. If all the dads would stand up for me. If you're a dad, stand up. Come on, it's okay. Come on, y'all give it up for the dads this morning. You guys can be seated. Now, this might be a trick question. I don't know if it's a trick question or not, but I want to know who is the newest dad in the room. <laughs> All right, now, i got to be careful how I ask this next one. Because I'm not looking for the oldest dad, because that's rude. I'm looking for who's been the dad the longest. Uh, that's a, probably a trick question, like I said. I'm trying not to pad the stats here of the guy in the front row, but pretty sure it's the guy on the front row. He's been a dad the longest, amen. Now, now here's the next question. Who is the, the dad with the most children in the room? Is it me? It's, it's Pastor Carl? No. No, it's Brother Nick. How many? Oh, I ain't got six. <laughs> nope, I don't have six. Six, all right. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. How many? It's an, another cheat, cheating question here, so I'll get your number in a minute because we know yours is going to win. Of all, how many grandfathers in the room? All right, now, besides Pastor Carl, <laughs> who has the most grandchildren? How many, let me see. I got five. We got five? We got, how many we got? 12 anybody beating 12 besides like I said don't count right anybody beating anybody beating 12 how many you, how many he has how many you got seven and my great grandkids 21 and one great great oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'll stop talking soon before he gets up because he's speaking this morning I just want to say something that's been in my heart um Brother Carl and I, we didn't see each other there, but we were at a funeral on Friday for a pastor friend that passed away. And um, I remember being, I walked in right as his kids got to the microphone. They were all older. And hearing the way that these kids talked about their dad was, number one, if my kids say this about me at my funeral, half of what they said about him, I'm winning, right? But the second thing it reminded me of is how crucial not important i'm gonna go crucial the role of the father is in the family and we live in a society on every sitcom and every movie on every tv show and every news report that is belittling the role of the father well this it's the holy spirit preaching your message not me not don't blame the holy spirit pastor Carl, not me <clears throat> and i just wanted to say thank you to every dad in the room for being a dad because society doesn't want you to so thank you for that. And to those who are spiritual dads in the room, I'm a benefit of, I mean, he's been a grandfather in my life forever, but he's becoming a spiritual father now in this season of my life. And I'm just so thankful for the people who are not biologically related to me, but have fathered me. Amen. So would you please do me a favor and welcome the Don, the Godfather, the, the ultimate grandpa, whatever you want to call him. Welcome Pastor Carl this morning as he comes. over 
Pastor Chris since he was four years old. That's how old he was when I got to the ministry and uh, went through the teenage years with him, the whole thing, lifting him up, sitting him down, straightening him out. So praise the Lord. Well, I want to wish everyone here a happy Father's Day. Uh, I've been asked to speak today, but before I speak on the subject of fatherhood, I want to give you my credentials. I've been married to the same woman, that redhead that's sitting on that one, for 63 years, the same woman, okay? And uh, she's been a fruitful vine. She's produced four beautiful children of mine. Three of them are here, three of my daughters are here. And from them came 17 grandchildren, uh, 21 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. I've been 50 years as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, 42 years as a pastor preaching on Father's Day. And uh, I have reviewed some of my Father's Day messages over the years. I lost 25 years of them in Katrina when I was pastoring Chalmette. I usually like to go back and look what I've preached and see... I mean, the thing about a father never changes. So I went back over probably the past 10 years and looked at some of the titles that I use for my messages, and I realized that the titles themselves speak to fathers. And I want to show you probably 11 of them, I believe. The first one is these are titles that I gave the messages. God wants a legacy. Then the chosen leader. Then the godfather. Then it takes one to know one. And the father after God's heart. Show us the father. All fathers need it. Chosen father, the gatekeeper, and the working father. I titled the message today, Where is the Father? Fatherhood is a very serious, serious subject today because we're seeing an attack on manhood. And uh, Pastor Chris started on, on the sitcoms that past decades, when you see a sitcom with a family, the, the husband and the father is always betrayed as an idiot, as a goofus that don't know his head from a hole in the ground. And the wife is always the one that has the brains and leading the family. We're seeing the deterioration of manhood today. We see it in our present time. We got men that want to dress up like women. We got our military, the Navy is trying to recruit men by having a commercial with a cross dresser. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but I don't want to join the Navy like that. Disney World now has allowed their male employees to come dressed with a dress and makeup. We got families today that's taking their young boys, mutilating them in a sex change to become a girl. We have people that have thoughts about what their gender is. 
We got, we got men that don't know whether they want to be a woman, want to be a woman, and we got women that don't know whether they want to be a man or not. Homosexuality is being pushed on society for them to accept it as being normal. The bottom line, though, to all the problems in society today is related directly to a fatherless generation. In fact, the Bible tells us why the gospel, why what we're preaching today is directed to fathers. In fact, I want to call your attention to the last two verses of Scripture in the Old Testament. Last two verses. It says this in Malachi 4, 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now these are the last two verses of the Old Testament. Now, there was 400 years of silence between those last words of God. There was 400 years, nobody heard anything. There was no man standing up saying, thus saith the Lord. Wasn't anybody. For 400 years, then came Jesus. He was revealing that John the Baptist was the Elijah that was supposed to come. And so what was the mission of John the Baptist? We see it in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 1, the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a child in her old age. This is what it says in Luke 1, 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To turn the hearts of the fathers. So we had 400 years. The last word God spoke was that the, the one that was coming was going to come in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And here 400 years later, we hear it again that this is the reason. This is the reason why we preach the gospel. This is the reason why Jesus Christ came. The problem in our world today is manhood. And all throughout the ministry of Jesus, he referred to God as his father on many occasions. He taught it to his disciples. He spoke about it, that God was his father. And he spoke about the Father. Now, we know that God is not a man. 
I mean, know that. God's not a man. But he revealed himself as a father. In essence, God, and Pastor Chris already said it, God is the perfect example of fatherhood. If we're going to look at fatherhood, we've got to look at God. He's the, he's the perfect example. And Jesus reveals the father to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you with such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my, my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. That's why Jesus said to Philip, anyone who has seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Or how can you say, where's the Father? No, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus came, and that's what he said on many occasions, I've come to reveal to you who the Father really is. But the last verse of the Old Testament reveals what the gospel of Jesus Christ would do. And that it says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The curse that is on our land today is because of the hearts of the fathers. I don't care what you say. So the world has had this problem now for 3,000 years. Even our government and, and secular psychologists have come to the conclusion that the crime problem we have today is a result of a fatherless generation. We live in a day where the breakdown of family union in America is the root cause for the rise of crime, for the abortion, teenage pregnancies, and all other ills they are affecting our society today. Government agencies and researchers have all attested to the fact that 75% of the young men that are in prison is a direct result of not having a father. Now, Years ago, I took a team of men from the tabernacle. We were invited to go to Rayborn Correctional Center in Bugalusa Prison to do a freedom encounter that we're going to have here. I dreamed about doing that, and it happened. They called me. said, would you come? I said, we're going to come do a freedom encounter. We did it. And one of the segments, you know, in the freedom encounter is dealing with the father wound. Dealing with the father wound. They got so many men out there that's dealing with a father wound, so we had to heal them. And it proved to us what we all knew and what everybody else knows, that the problems we have in the world today is because of the fathers. And there was no doubt when I gave the altar call for the men who had a father's wound, 90% of those men came forward. 
and everyone had a story. Either they didn't know who their father was, their father abandoned them, their father beat them, their father sexually abused them. Whatever the case may be, they were in prison as a result of not having that father in their life. Today there's millions of single parent homes minus a father. It's mothers and grandmothers raising kids. But it's not just the father's absence that's the problem. It's the absence of a concern for their family that's the problem. It's a man's refusal to be responsible, not only for himself, but for his family. And the core problem we know is sin. Sin is selfishness. Selfishness is the characteristics of a child. We have childish living in men's bodies. There are six characteristics of children that represent these kind of men. They are the center of their own universe. They are insensitive to others' needs. They demand their own way. They have a temper tantrum if they're not catered to. They're unreasonable, irresponsible. They're only subject to concrete authority. That is what the Bible says about a child. A child gets the rod of discipline applied to the seat of understanding. That's the only thing they understand. Those are the characteristics of a child. This irresponsibility leads to the abandonment of the family when men walk out and go their own way. There are two kinds of men in the world today. The Bible gives us examples. Baby, hand me my water. The worship service got my voice. Wasn't that good? <coughs> Thank you. There are two kinds of men in the world today. The first example we find in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, his name was Adam. God the Father created Adam to be a son. That's what he created him to be. But God the Father came to Adam one day and said, Did you do what I told you not to do? Did you take of the tree I said for you not to eat? Genesis 3.12, the man said this, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. See, Adam didn't accept his own responsibility for his own actions. He blamed it on his wife like so many men do today. And the fact is, God gave the command to Adam before he even created the woman. He says, all this is yours, you don't eat of this tree. Then he made Eve, he felt sorry for Adam, he made him a woman. That's why he named a woman, whoa, man. But it was Adam's responsibility to keep God's command. The Apostle Paul tells us the result of Adam's sin in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sin. It was Adam's sin, it wasn't Eve's sin, that the curse came. Sin entered the world 
from Adam's irresponsibility to do God's command. Sad to say that a man's maturity doesn't come with age because there are some young men at 17 that are more mature than some men at 47. It's not that. Maturity comes when you begin to accept responsibility. God set the order of the family up for the man to be the head, not the tail, to be the leader, not the follower, to be responsible for his wife and children, that he would carry the burden to lead, to provide, and to protect his family. Adam refused to accept his responsibility, so he lost his manhood. He brought on a death penalty for mankind for generations to come. That's the bad news. You want to hear the good news? Then came another Adam. Then came another Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Well, at last, Adam's name is Jesus. When he came, he not only accepted the responsibility for his own actions, he accepted the responsibility for the actions of the entire world. He was responsible. That's the difference with men. Some men cannot accept their own responsibilities, I mean, the responsibility for their own actions. But true Christian men accept responsibility not only for their own actions, but for their family. They don't blame their family. They accept the responsibility. But not only that, they accept the responsibility for the world that Christ died for. They would take responsibility to be a witness for Christ. Man, if you want to be great, you want to be great, your care for others is the measure of your greatness. Because Jesus says, when he told his disciples when they were bickering who was going to be the greatest among them, he said, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. You got to be one who's going to serve. You got to be one who is going to be concerned for the others. It's a father's responsibility to help his sons and daughters mature in godliness. That's why a good father will ask their children, before he corrects them and adds punishment to the correction, the father will say, did you do it? That's what you need to say. Did you do it? Before I give you the punishment, did you do it? Because he wants the child to accept responsibility for their own actions. When they begin to accept responsibility, that's when they will mature. But it's not our responsibility to make all of their decisions. Our responsibility is to demonstrate to them how we make our own decisions. That our decisions should always be righteous. That our decisions should always be holy that our decisions should always be according to a higher authority, which is the Word of God. That's what we need to demonstrate to them, that our decisions, every decision we make in our life and in our family and for our family is going to be based upon God's Word. 
Because children are not always going to listen to you. But I guarantee you they will always imitate you. That's why if you got bad habits, they're going to have bad habits. You got good habits, they'll have some good habits. So the rule for a godly father should always be this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do because I'm following Jesus. I want to give you three things to think on. If we are fathers that have been born again, spirit-filled, in faith in Jesus Christ, we have received the righteousness of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ, the church. There are three things that God expects us to do as fathers. Priority number one, the salvation of our children. Listen, you can send them to college. You can give them all kind of inheritance. If they don't have Christ, if they're not saved, then your life worth nothing to them. Your first responsibility is that they come to Jesus Christ. And we can't leave it solely to our wife to do it. Even though our wife is the helpmate. She is the helper. But it's your responsibility as the leader, as the father, to make sure that they get saved. You can't leave it up to the pastor. You can't leave it up to the church. Even though we're here to help you, we're here to support you, but you can't just put that burden on your pastor to get your kids saved. No, that's your, your, your responsibility, even though we're here to support you. But the responsibility falls on the head of the family, which is the father. That's what God says. The buck stops with us. Now, before I go any further, let me ask you, how many of us fathers know that we're not perfect? Anybody? We're not perfect. I'm going to give you a biblical example of a father that wasn't perfect, and there are many of them in the Bible that wasn't perfect. This one, believe it or not, is Moses. Think about this. Moses was the friend of God. Moses was the person who talked to God face to face. Moses, after receiving all the instructions from the Lord to go into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, the king there, that the Lord says, you got to let my people go. Now, on the way, there's a scene that took place. It's only three verses of Scripture. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, it says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. It says that God met him on the way and sought to kill him. Can you imagine that? God was after him simply because he didn't do what he should have done for his son. When suddenly his wife, Sephora, takes a sharp stone and circumcised 
his son. She looked at her husband and said, surely you are bridegroom of blood to me. This all happened in three verses. But these three verses far exceeds these three verses. The reason why God was ready to do this was because Moses failed to circumcise his son. Failed to include him in the covenant of God. Circumcision meant that you were in the covenant of God. It was a circumcision by blood. When the foreskin of the, the boys were cut, blood was shed. But yet, this didn't happen. Moses was going to represent God, and he didn't even take care of his own business at home. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Here, Moses was going to go and free God's people who had a blood covenant. All of Israel knew the sons got circumcised. Everybody was in the covenant of God, a blood covenant. But Moses hadn't circumcised his own son. It was his wife that had to step in. She was not even a Jew. She was a Midianite. But she knew what Moses should have done. Moses deferred his son to his wife. Let me say this, man. No man is ever an exception to God's law. Not Abraham, not Moses, not me, not you, no man. God is going to hold us accountable. God was saying to Moses, no way are you going to go and speak for me when you haven't even taken care of your own business at home. See, when you can't even take care of your own family, you can't represent God. Don't even go out there and try to witness to somebody. If your house is in a wreck, your house is in disrepair, don't even go out there and speak the name of Jesus. See, the Bible tells us the qualifications for elders and deacons. You got to have your house in order. If your house is not in order, then you don't have no place here to tell anybody anything. That's why many pastors had to step down. Out of, out of ministry because the family was going crazy. When Sapporah circumcised their son and did what Moses should have done, God spared it. But Moses should have circumcised his son. The application is the same today. Moses' failure, he didn't take the time to make sure that his son, his son with him, his son wasn't circumcised. His son wasn't even representing the covenant that, that Moses was going to represent. He didn't do it. Okay, that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Second priority is this, displaying the covenant of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Not only has fatherhood been lost in our society, the godly family model 
the motto of a family has been lost. They got men and women have no idea of what their roles are and the responsibilities in the family. And then the kids don't know they're hit from a hole in the ground. They enter life. They, don't, they haven't seen anything. They haven't witnessed a model of a family in their life. We see women becoming the dominant role in, in the family. And not because they want to. It's because the man is not taking care of his own responsibility. They got women crying for their husbands to step up. Be the man. Be the man you're supposed to be. Then I won't have to step in. But because men have neglected their role, like with Moses, his wife Zipporah had to jump in. I tell men all the time, my wife can tell you, when we do marriage counseling, and I hear all that's going on there, I look at the man and say, it's your fault. What do you mean it's my fault? She, it's your fault. If you've been leading your family properly, if you'd have been loving your wife like you're supposed to, and I tell women all the time, if you have a man that's willing to love you and die for you, what is your problem in submitting? You got somebody who's willing to give his life for you, why don't you submit? But men are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. See, the men are the head. But because you neglect and have relinquished your, your authority to your wife, listen, the only family model your kids will see is the one you're showing them. Is the one you're showing them. We must teach them that marriage is the most important decision they're going to make in their life outside of accepting Christ. That's the next greatest decision. The first one is to receive Christ as Savior. The second is to re receive a spouse in marriage. See, a father needs to teach their sons and daughters by example. It's your responsibility to teach them that marriage is a covenant relationship. I know I tried to show my my kids that I love my my wife. There have been times we sit on the sofa, I put my arm around her when they were young. I put my arm around my wife and the kids would say, hey, look at daddy. I said, that's right, look. This is how it's got to be. This is how it's got to be. The third thing, the priority is leaving a legacy. We have to leave our children an inheritance. God says he hates divorce. You know why? Because he wants godly offspring. He wants you to stay together, show them what the model is, show them how you serve Christ, serve how you live for God, so that they too will live for God. God says he hates divorce for one reason, because he wants godly offspring. That's our responsibility as believers. You have children, your responsibility is that they will know the God you serve. The greatest legacy that we can leave our children is the legacy of faith. Now, probably some of us fathers here have never sat down with our children and shared our testimony, how God saved us from our pride, our arrogance, and our sinful lifestyle. 
whatever it may be that God saved you from, you need to sit down with your sons and daughters that are born into your house and tell them what God did for you. Because if you don't, when they start going the wrong way, you begin trying to straighten them out. All they're going to say, you're preaching to us. You See, if they, I'm telling you, the, the, the hardest children to stay on track sometimes is the children that grow up in church. And all they see is church. They never knew that their parents was not always in church that their parents are who they are because Christ saved them. See, your, your greatest legacy to your son and daughter is your testimony of what God did for you. How did God transform your life? What did he do for you? How he changed you from a sinner to a saint. How did that happen? You got to tell them. It ain't just church. Not just coming here on Sunday. Something happened to you. You were born again by the spirit of the living God. God changed your life. They got to know that. That's the greatest thing you could do. But how do we leave a legacy? Well, I'll tell you. Number one, by continuation. Our God is a generational God. He sees the future. He knows our life serving him will be far-reaching in the future. I've lived long enough to see a heritage. Been 50 years as a believer. I've seen a heritage. Now I'm representing four generations. The Lord revealed himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's looking past you. He's looking to your children. He's looking to your offspring. I didn't have a heritage to look to. We had Italian, I'm Italians on both sides of my family. Nobody knew God. Nobody knew anything about God. Nobody knew anything. I had to start one. It started with me. What a heritage is started when a father comes to Christ. It's so powerful. See, we got to let them see our consistency in life, in worshiping God and loving God. I heard a statement that came, I believe it came from some of my grandsons, I think the photo boys. It came back to me. They said amongst themselves, they said one thing about Papa, he never wavered. He never strayed. He didn't go anywhere else that whatever they saw in me, I kept going for the years. I felt, I felt so good about that. So at least they saw something. The next thing is going to leave a legacy. You've got to have some character. If we're going to leave a legacy, we must have character. We need to be men of character, getting stronger every day. And our example needs to build character in others especially our children, especially our boys. We need men of character in our homes, in our church, in our world. Apostle Paul tells Timothy this, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For when some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Paul told Timothy, but you, O man of God, pursue these things, righteousness. You know what that means? Being right with God, right with man, doing right in every aspect of your life. Then godliness. Godliness is Christ-likeness. We need to be Christ-like in everything we do in life. Then faith. Faith is to believe. Faith is to be faithful. Then love. Not natural love, but God's love. Agape love. Then patience, not giving up. Gentleness, which is meekness, not weakness. Meekness. Then our confession. For a father to leave a legacy, he has to have a clear confession of faith. Clear. The father sets the pace for the family. He's the head. He should lead the way, confessing Christ through his entire life, through hard times, through good times, through sickness, health. He needs to confess Christ in every aspect of his life. His confession of faith must be as clear as Joshua's was. When Joshua stood before over a million of Israelites, he said this in Joshua 24, 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he said, but as for me, my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In other words, you guys can do whatever you want to do. You can tell your friends, your relatives, whoever they may be. You can do what you want to do. But for me, my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Stand with me. You might be a father here today and you have never made that confession. You have never made that confession that me and my house we're going to serve the Lord. You can do that today. You need to do that today. If you want to be everything your family needs to be, you need to make